0: happy sunday morning we're wrapping up our series today same but different and last couple of weeks we started out with the game same but different and this is something that preschoolers learn is how to observe and how to think critically and so they take two objects and they see how they're the same and different and so we started out with two you who's over the last couple of weeks and how are they the same and how they're different we talked about how they're both containers Um, they both have round tops and bottoms um, a couple ways that are different, one is obscure and one is clear, one is tall and one is short. At the end of the day, we know that these yoo are the same, but they're different. And it's the same thing when it comes to men and women. We're the same and we're different. In this series, we've learned how it plays out in biology and in the home and now today in the church. And this all came from our annual survey that revealed that this was the number one topic our church wanted more information on, the differences of the sexes. Um, How do I respond when my kid comes home and the teacher says, I need you to use this pronoun? Um, We talked about how uh, uh, families wanted to know, okay, how do I respond as my kid is becoming a teenager and it feels like they are a different person? Like, I don't know who they are. It's like a stranger's living in my home. And then, like, what is the role of men and women in the church? So the first week we started out with biology. We learned that women were created biologically different than men to give life. They're the only ones created with a womb. You are the most as a woman. You are the most like God because you are able to give life. Men cannot. Uh, Men were biologically built differently than women to bring things under control through physical strength, which we're going to see in a second. The whole point of our differences is that we would enjoy flourishing or we would enjoy thriving under God's design. You see, God's intention was for us to partner with him to flourish. And even though we live in a broken world, our world is out of rhythm with God, it's not impossible to thrive. It's not impossible to flourish. In fact, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it by working and taking care of the garden, it would in turn take care of him and Eve with food. See, what Adam was doing, he was preparing the garden for growth. That's what men do. Men prepare the home. They prepare the church. They prepare the family for growth. Men are preparers and women are nurturers. Women are able to nurture life and able to nurture life within their sons and daughters. And they're... Look, those responsibilities will overlap at times, but men are preparers and women are nurturers. And this flows in the thriving in the home and also in the church. When we talked last week that men and women, it just seems like we're not really thriving in America. And this is affecting the home and it's affecting the church. And this started long ago with the birth of feminism. Notice what Ken Bo writes. The women's suffrage movement of the early part of the century changed the political system by giving women, both married and unmarried, the vote. The suffragettes, the feminists of the early 20th century, were culturally conservative by today's standards. They were at the forefront of the temperance movement that outlawed the sale of alcoholic beverages for a time. Prohibition and its repeal contributed to major changes in the structure of crime in America and led to widespread skepticism about the possibility of legislating morality. The early feminists were generally opposed to abortion, though they led the effort to develop and legitimize contraception. So, not every woman, believe it or not, thought that gaining the right to vote was a good idea. In fact, Lauren Thompson in Time magazine says this Many of them thought that gaining the right to vote would be a loss to them in terms of their power in the family and their role as the arbiters of moral and social purity. So some women believed themselves to be sort of like the gatekeepers of morality in American culture. So what changed? What changed? Well, the Second World War changed. After World War II, it changed. The movement began to change into something else and distance itself from its origin. It was making abortion safe and legal, language equality, equality in the workforce, equality in government, to now reducing masculinity by blurring the gender lines, fighting for abortion on demand, advocating young boys to become girls, celebrating lesbianism, and reducing the need for traditional family structure. Feminism has now gone after masculinity for decades and it's created a feminization of man. You have weak men who don't protect, um, toxic masculinity, you have predators, and masculinity of woman or women trying to become men. And this has created really two things, two voids. One, fatherlessness, but also father's not providing their kids identity. Men are to be protectors and preparers, and when that does not happen, we lose a generation of men and women. And and here's what we've seen. We've seen abusive men. We've seen men with high body counts. We've seen men becoming women. We've seen men playing women's sports. We've seen men who are feminized and unable to serve in the military. We have women being the majority of professors and teachers in the secondary and university settings. Today, feminism has pushed hard that women are unrepresented in jobs. Yet the push isn't honest. as They're, they're not pushing for women to be represented in the blue-collar jobs. You know, welders and construction workers and farmers and linemen and loggers. For hundreds of years... Hundreds of years, men have been doing those jobs because they're best suited for men and women haven't women haven't said a word about it. But as we become more white-collar than blue-collar, women are complaining that they are underrepresented as executives and in sports, yet they are not complaining that women are underrepresented as linemen or loggers. Sivadi Bakum said, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. And this has impacted other parts of the world, including the church around the world. So, what's the tension? So, what's the tension in the church? We have God being made gender neutral. Uh, there's providing language equality in bible translations we're trying to make god feminine women in leadership and so what's right and what's wrong like what's allowed and what's not allowed and so our commitment this morning is to understand what and why we believe god's roles are for men and women in the church and for those who are new to faith and maybe still trying to figure out faith and not sure about faith And hopefully your takeaway this morning is this, is that we want to thrive as a church and we believe the only way we can thrive is by following God's design or God's purposes. So let's break down God's purposes because when there's a breakdown of our God-given purposes, there's a disruption to thriving. So by design, we looked at men are preparers. They're preparing their sons and daughters for life. Women are nurturers, they're nurturing life in their sons and daughters, and both are forms of cultivating. They just look different. So let's quickly recap our God-given purpose. God blessed them and said in Genesis 1, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so what does that mean? We we give life. And women are biologically built to give life. You have a womb. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The word roll means to bring under control or bring in order. Okay, but did you notice what it is? It takes strength to do that. So women were created biologically different than men to give life and men were biologically built differently than women to bring things under control through physical strength. After the decision to disobey, Notice that God affirms their purpose. He says, Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. You're still having kids. It's just going to be harder. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. What type of, yeah, he was built differently. So how does this translate to thriving in the church? So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's first look at how Jesus treated women, and then we're going to look at how the early church viewed men and women the same but different. How about this one? Jesus valued his mom. He loved his mama. In John 2, Um, there's a request made at a wedding Um, back then if you ran out of wine it was not a good look so mary's approach that there's no wine she goes to her son because she knows that he could do something about it and he honors her request for his first miracle turning water into wine jesus spoke with a shunned woman in john 4 This is a woman on her her fifth relationship. Uh, She was shunned by the community. That's why she was at the well alone. He shared his identity with her, and she told the town the good news. Jesus invited women to learn from him as students in Luke 8 and Luke 10, and to travel with him, which included Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, and Martha, and along the apostles they ministered. Jesus revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene, who he instructed to go tell of the resurrection in Matthew 28. See, Mary was the first eyewitness of the resurrection and the first to preach. The word and the phrase go tell means proclaim or to preach. And she preached the message to the men. See, in that culture, a woman's testimony wasn't accepted. And Jesus chose Mary to be the first to preach it. The early church was impacted by women. (laughs) Women prophesied or they gave messages from the Holy Spirit to provide encouragement and life to the church. We see that in Acts 2 and Acts 21. In fact, that has happened to me in the past where I will get a phone call from someone. And typically it is a woman. And they will call me and say, listen, I have a word from from the Lord. I feel like I need to share that with you. Um, and I and I hear what they have to say. And I'll be honest. Only one time it hasn't happened. And that's yet to happen. Every time someone prophesied or they gave a message, it happened. Uh, women discipled men in Acts 18 and 2 Timothy 1. Women served alongside of men in Romans 16. Women traveled and delivered messages in Romans 16. So what's the tension? So what's the tension with all of this? Like it seems like everything was going fine in the early church. Like this wasn't an issue back then. Why is it such an issue today? Earlier this year, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, was kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for ordaining two women to serve as pastors. For those who grew up in church, this hasn't been anything new. It's been a debate for decades. It's been brought up here in different contexts because we have people that come from all different backgrounds, and this is a question people ask, and it's great that they ask this question because typically there's some baggage to it. And it's been asked of me, okay, look, can you explain our stance? Now, for those who didn't grow up in church, you may have more questions than answers. And I I believe that I would too if I was in your shoes. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, my hope for you is that you will see how we handle the Bible with integrity. Um, One of the one-on-ones of understanding the Bible is comparing the Bible with the Bible. We want to make sure that we can interpret the Bible with the Bible, here's what begins to happen. Uh, When someone develops a theology or a doctrine or a teaching based on one Bible verse, that's how cults get started. Like, that's never a good thing. However, when we look that when God says things more than once, it's something that we need to value to receive and apply. So here's where the tension comes from. I want to read a couple verses. And we're gonna see where the tension comes from. You guys ready? All right. In First Timothy two, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in a city called Ephesus. And if you remember from last week, we talked a little bit about Ephesus. A woman shall learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man; she must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. It sort of seems like a contradiction about what we just saw. Without Jesus viewed women and how the early church used men and women, it just seems like, what's going on? Women obviously spoke during gatherings as they prophesied. We know that Priscilla took Apollos aside to disciple him. We know that men and women served alongside each other. So what's going on? Well, you know how there's a principle we want to compare Scripture with Scripture? Well, there's another principle that we want to know, is the text universal or cultural? Is it universal or cultural? Context, the reason why it's written is so important. See, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. And there was a deity that the people in Ephesus worshiped named Diana. In fact, the temple dedicated her was an ancient wonder of the world. The temple was 80,000 square feet and 60 feet tall. That would be taking uh, six and a half of our buildings stacked on top of each other. Yeah, that's huge. With the female goddess... As the chief deity in Ephesus, women were the primary leaders in the temple. And in fact, there was a hierarchy in the religion where women were at the top. And according to N.T. Wright, who's a scholar, they ruled to keep men in their place. In fact, some ancient historians write that Ephesus was founded by the Amazons who resided there and performed the rituals to Diana. Now, if you know your DC comics, who would that be? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it would be Wonder Woman. That is my daughter's favorite superhero. Yeah, the Amaz- yeah, she came from the Amazons. Now, with all this in mind, there was a cultural issue going on for that particular local church. Paul is writing to a church with a culture that is moving in a direction completely opposite of God's design. Now, look, we can make educated guesses on what's happening when people become followers of Jesus in Ephesus. They are having a difficult time leaving one way of life for another. Paul wrote to encourage Timothy. All right, here's a universal truth. The universal truth is that God has a design. Women are not to have the spiritual authority over a man in marriage or in the church. That's a universal truth. But then he gives some cultural truths. Paul directed Timothy to instruct the disruptive women to be quiet and not to dominate, which they were what? They were used to. They were used to in Diana's temple. Then he even goes as far to encourage Timothy to teach women that they are to reflect God by giving life as nurturers. The, the word saved does not mean to salvation. It does, doesn't mean becoming a follower of Jesus. The word saved, the use of saved is being rescued from an ideology that deviates from God's design. Paul's encouraging Timothy, listen, remind them of how God wired them differently than men. That they are, they are like me because they're able to give life. Dr. Ken Boas sums it up as he writes, Paul is forbidding women to exercise authority over a man, not because women are less capable in any sense. I mean, obviously in Ephesus, they were capable. But such violation of the created order between men and women is precisely how spiritual deception got a foothold in the human race in the first place. Men and women are both vulnerable to error and sin when they forsake the order that God has intended. So where does this leave our church? What is this? How does this impact us? How does this change what we do here? Well, based on what Jesus modeled and the early church provided as data, we believe that women are complementary partners with men through their purpose of nurturing life in the local church. Women are the same with men. They've been created in God's image. They've been given a soul, offered salvation, received the spiritual gifts. And when men or women are lockstep with their purposes, We fulfill God's design. And so what it means here is from volunteering in any environment, speaking on stage, praying with and in front of others, speaking encouraging words, leading songs, supervising, teaching and leading groups. We encourage women to serve in our church and be very visible in our church. Women offer value in our church that men cannot buy themselves. I don't want a church full of dudes. I don't want a church full of women either. We need both. This allows everyone to thrive in the church. And we live in such a weird area where everyone's so focused on titles. And so if you're wondering about titles, we use coordinator, manager, director, assistant, leader. We would use executive director, um, minister, or deacon for both men and women. Based on the prescriptive scriptures from Paul, We believe that the office or position of elder, also called pastor, is reserved for qualified men. Not just any man, but a qualified man. God's design was that men lead the home and they lead the church. This doesn't reduce a woman's value. In fact, some of our staff ladies would tell you, staff women would tell you, that it gets them off the hook. As men will be accountable before God on how they led the home and how they led the church. Now, notice the qualifications of an elder. Now, pastor was added centuries later. uh, It was an English term. And the term is typically used as a spiritual gift or the responsibility to shepherd people. Like, typically, I will say that our small group leaders are like the frontline pastors in our church. And what I mean by that is they're the ones that are shepherding people. And the bigger we get, that's so important. That's why we we build our church as a church of small groups, not with small groups. Because they're dealing with issues even before I hear about them. They're praying with you before I have the chance to pray for you. And that's a good thing. So I'm not a big fan uh, of utilizing the word pastor with elder. Um, but we live in America and we, we have driveways that we park and we have parkways that we drive on. So it's just really interesting. And since it's a common term of someone that leads the church, we will put that in with elder and overseer, which the early church used to refer to men leading the church. In fact, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. Now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That does not apply to every guy. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own home, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or a new follower of Jesus, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, for those who have a church background, you would say, well, well, well," if you keep reading, he also says the deacons need to be faithful to one wife. Here's the catch with that Paul calls Phoebe a deacon, in Romans 16. He uses the same word in 1 Timothy 3 as he does in Romans 16. And In fact, the early church had women serve as deacons. They called them deaconesses. And we don't see anything like this when it comes to elders or overseers, which means that it is a universal truth that men are to lead the church. So we have more than one elder here at Southbridge. Um, so this is not one person leading without accountability. Now, even though I lead the elder team and I lead the staff team and I lead our church, um, I'm also held accountable by the elders. Now, we are a volunteer driven staff led and elder guarded church. The elders guard and protect the mission and vision of our church and and they help us stay on mission and on message and With that being the case, these men or these qualified men are typically the primary communicators on a Sunday morning. We see the Sunday morning message as the primary means to communicate our church's unified mission and message. We believe that the pastor should be the primary communicator of the church's mission and message, as he's the leader of our church. Now, the Sunday message, here's what it is doing. It's preparing people for the week and the weeks to come to live on mission and on message. Did you catch that? Yeah, men are preparers, women are nurturers. I truly believe that clarity is kindness. I believe in men and women at our church and fully understand that we need both men and women. We can't do it without each other. We are able to thrive under God's design. So why have we allowed a cultural movement to dictate or influence his design for us to thrive? It's interesting that every cultural movement Promises to make life better, but then it seems that it's never enough once it's obtained. It promises that men and women will thrive, but do we? So here's two things to think about how does culture value women, and how does God value women? Although we share responsibilities as we reflect God's image, how are men preparers or protectors? and women nurturers within the local church. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for Paul's writings. We're so thankful that he gave Timothy some handles on how to address a universal truth in a culture that was having a very difficult time with those who became followers in that culture to leave a certain way of life for another way of life. And that's what you've called us when you call us to follow you is to leave one way of life to follow you And you provide us a different way of life. Father, I ask that we would be lockstep with you on how you design things. And it's for our flourishing. It's for our thriving. For those in the room who who just don't know what they believe and they maybe have more questions than answers, I ask that they would have the courage to ask those questions. But most importantly, they would see who Jesus is. That he changes us for the better. In Jesus' name, amen.